welcome to the Sacred City Life Podcast. This is your host, Pastor Justin Dean. And this podcast is all about helping you follow Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. And I don't know, it seems like that used to be a simple thing to do, <laughs> following Jesus in the everyday rhythms of life. And now our everyday rhythms of life are getting more and more uh, convoluted, chaotic, confusing. And so we're going to try to help you navigate some of that confusion today. I've got all three of my residents with me. Alex Tate. What's going on, guys? Bryce Dynamics. How's it going? And Kevin Nowhere. Hey, everybody. And a few weeks ago, we did a podcast talking about Joe Rigney's article, The Sin of Empathy. And I've been thinking more and more about that and thinking of how pertinent it is, of a topic it is. And I think we've got to drill down into that a little bit more. Mm. Um, here's kind of the scenario <clears throat> for parents. Your kids um, are on YouTube all the time. They stumble across some confused uh, biological male, feels outside of their body, feels confused, and that person is telling them that they are a female in a male's body and, and they start taking hormones and they start changing their body and they start preaching a gospel that says, anyone who disagrees with me is a bigot. If you love me, you will accept me as I am. You can't say anything I'm doing is wrong. There's hundreds of, I mean, thousands of these YouTubers with thousands and hundreds of thousands of followers who are basically teaching propaganda that they are the most victimized person in society. And if you don't feel sorry for them, and and not just like feel compassion towards them, but enthusiastically embrace their lifestyle choices. So you literally, if you are good, if you are a good person, if you are a loving person, if you are a kind person, then you must cheer the, as this person give injects themselves with the opposite biological sex hormones, and basically, um, you know, destroy their body cut off their breasts or cut off their genitalia and embrace the lifestyle that they are something other. And many of them, it's so confusing. They're saying things like I'm 60% male and 40% female. Like I'm not even one or the other. I'm, I am gender fluid, hmm. absolutely bizarre things. But, but my interest in this, so they're hearing they're hearing these things this this doctrine this dogma on YouTube, and then they come home and then they're they're hearing it um, echoed in school that it's that this is okay that this is good that this should be celebrated. Then they come home and the dad makes some joke about some transgender person on TV. Right? Look at this guy. This guy's messed up. This guy's weird or something. And their kids turn around and say, Dad, you're a bigot. Dad, what's wrong with you? Why are you so judgmental? Why are you so... And these kids maybe even claim to be Christians. 
And dad is like thrown back and he's like, what? I'm not judgmental. This kid's just weird. Like, you know, it's clear this kid's confused. Doesn't know what he doesn't know. Even know what he is. You know, something wrong with this kid. And I'm using the, the gender topic and sexuality, but it's a lot of different topics right now. Mm, yeah. um, you know, and the, the term that Joe Rigney talked about was the sin of empathy. Now, here's another way that this, this plays out. And I heard it, I heard John Piper use a term called un, what do you call it? He called it untethered sympathy. Untethered sympathy. Now, Piper was speaking in response to Ravi Zacharias. If you know anything about this, Ravi Zacharias was a worldwide apologist for the gospel. Um, did a lot of good in his life. Um, he, he, he's, he was a brilliant man. He debated. He was, um, I'm not going to get into the whole thing, but after his death, it came out that he was <clears throat> um, abusing women. He was sexual. He was um, having an affair, many affairs. He was committing adultery. He was using his position to prey upon women, basically. He owned a bunch of massage parlors and was taking advantage of women and all this kind of stuff. And this is interesting. He was basically using the same tactic as these um, gender, gender bender evangelists are using. Hmm. He would say things like this. You don't know how difficult my job is. I travel 300 days out of the year. I have excruciating back pain. I preach the gospel to millions around the world. I'm away from my wife from long periods of time. I've given up so many good things for the sake of the gospel. And so I need your body. I need you to Whatever it, whatever it was, to have an affair, to give him sexual pleasure on the massage table. And Piper called that, first off, it's, it's demonic, it's manipulation, but he called it untethered sympathy, okay? So he's trying to get people to sympathize with them in a way that's just like the sin of empathy, that you throw away your morality, you, so Christians are meant to be compassionate towards people, but holding on to the truth of Scripture, yeah. right? That we, we anchor ourselves to Jesus. We anchor ourselves to the Scripture so that we don't get pulled away. Think of us if we were in orbit, if we're out in outer space, right, and there's no gravity. You have to anchor yourself to your spacecraft because if you go outside the spacecraft, you're just going to float off into space, right? Well, what's happening with people is the, is compassion is the only virtue they have. Sympathy is the only virtue they have. Empathy is the only virtue they have. They're not tethered to anything. Yeah. So all they do is feel sorry for people. And then, you know, in, in the in this gender bender example, then they just give themselves, okay, you, yes, whatever you want to do to your body, whatever you want to say, I'll use your pronouns, I'll do all your things. I just don't want to be a bigot. We just hand ourselves over to that. And then in the Ravi Zacharias example, these women, for whatever reason, they felt pressured or whatever it was, they agreed to it. They sent him nude pictures. They 
did sexual favors on, on the massage table. They had affairs with him. Instead of saying, man, I'm sorry you've got a tough life, but I'm not sinning. That's a sin to do that. That's a sin against God. You know, like, sucks to be you, bud. Like, I'm sorry. Now, listen, there, there, I think this is something that's going on in our culture that just needs to be, we need to be aware of it. Mm. We need to be sinning. All of us, <clears throat> when we go through difficult times, we want people kind of, I don't want no, they want, we want people to pity us. You know, and I'll be honest, being a pastor, being a church planter, it's hard. It's, it is a hard job. It's a very difficult job. You get a lot of um, pushback. You get a lot of, you do a lot of things without, without many thanks. You do a lot of things behind the scenes that nobody knows. You make a lot of sacrifices, right? When, we st when I started this church, it literally took everything I had. It took all my retirement. We had to move away for two years. We had to come back. We had to give up everything. We had to, you know, to, to start the church. It was a huge risk. It required a lot of sacrifice for us. But we have to tether that to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is worth that sacrifice, yeah. right? Right, he's worth it. And, and nobody owes us anything. And so that, that's the kind of, the, the, the thought pattern I'm, I'm having right now is we have this virtue in Christianity of compassion, of feeling pity for the weak and for the marginalized. And yet we have to, we can't just give ourselves over to pity. We can't just give ourselves over to sympathy. We can't just give ourselves over to empathy. We have to remain tethered to the truth. It almost sounds like you're saying like uh, the Christian that suffers, right? Um, because if you have, you know, Paul and all the people that are following Christ, there is some suffering um, in, in that. And it's almost as if this guy took that and use his power to prey on people. Yeah, but that's what, the, okay, he did. That, that's, a, that's, a, you know, that's how the Christian used it in a position. And here's what's interesting. He's in a powerful position. Yeah. He's a multimillionaire leading a multi, I don't even know, $100 million ministry, right? Traveling around the globe, more than likely first class. And he, he paints himself as the victim. Yeah. He paints himself as the sufferer, mm. right? Now, here's the interesting Thing. In our society today, because we are so untethered from truth and untethered from the gospel and, and Jesus himself, the sufferer, the marginalized, is in a unique position, almost morally speaking, they think they have the moral high ground. Yeah. And so that's why in transgenderism or whatever you want to call this, gender fluidity and all this kind of stuff, if they can paint themselves out to be the greatest victim and get people to feel sorry for them, then they can get sympathy and then they can get clicks and likes and popularity. Yeah. Right. What, well, so what does it look like, uh, I guess, as a Christian to kind of, to, to love your neighbor in that, right? The, the person that is maybe trying to use the power, um, and the person that is trying to use, you know, struggling with opposite sex or willing to change their body, how, how does the Christian love that person in that? Because as you said before, a lot of the, even the youth and some of the people that aren't, have any foundation, it's almost as if, don't talk to that person like that. Like, you know, you need to love them, right? Yeah. yeah. 
Okay. So it, it just, it, it depends on what, what the situation is. Like for parents, I think parents, we have to be aware that this is what our kids, that our kids are being taught and we have to shepherd our kids to see what's going on. Because if everybody believes that compassion and sympathy and empathy are the same thing yeah. and they're all a virtue that we should, we should uh, embrace and we should own, like we should become a virtuous person that's compassionate then the, our children aren't seeing how that can go too far if it's not tethered to the truth, right? And that's key, like you said, like I'm parents being learners, right? Because a lot of the the parents, that they think because they are authoritative um, in a sense that, you know, they'll just tell them whatever, but they also have to be learners of what is going on in the culture so they can be able to speak into that. Yes. So first off, we got to take care of what's going in our own homes. So we have to be teaching our children what the truth is, what does Jesus say about gender? What does even Jesus say, you know, or the scriptures speak of being of the, the internal turmoil that we have inside of us just because of the, the fall, right? We can have all kind of temptations to sin on the inside of us. We can feel like there's a sense where even Paul didn't feel at home in his body, right? Like he's like, I don't know, I could stay or I could go. I kind of long to go and be with my father in heaven, right? Like, like there is an we are aliens in a sense in this world and in our bodies, right? Until we get our new heaven, until we get our new bodies and the new heavens and new earth. So, so we can understand gender confusion. We can understand um, different ideas of sexuality from that perspective, but it's still, we still have a clear line. You can't glorify God in your body by, you know, cutting off your body parts, right? For, for selfish reasons or whatever. For, for those so that's not glorifying to God now there's two so we need to be teaching our children God gave us our body and we need to glorify God in our body and um, and live out the sexuality that God has given us okay second or the gender that God has given us second if my neighbor <clears throat> is gender confused or gender or transsexual or transgender or any of these things, I'm going to do what I do with anybody else. I'm going to be a kind neighbor. Yeah. I'm going to love them. I'm going to invite them over for dinner. I'm going to listen to their story and I'm going to and I'm going to hear where their their story doesn't line up with the gospel. And I'm going most of these people right now, especially with this rapid onset gender dysphoria that I talked about a little bit on Sunday, and these these kids are just they just they feel broken, they feel lost, they don't feel right in their body. They feel, they just feel like they don't have, they're missing something. Yeah. Now that's normal feeling for teenagers because they are missing a lot of things. They're missing wisdom. They're missing experience. They're missing a lot of different. Some of them are just going through puberty, right? Some of them Let's are just, just going through puberty. Yeah. They're also, but they're, they're also, they're from broken homes. They're being fed all this false views of sexuality that, that, that they can, they'll find themselves out there. And so. They, walk, they stumble on a YouTube video. They stumble on an article. They, they, they click on a link on an on a Instagram post or a hashtag about trans boy or something. And they think, oh, maybe that's what I'm missing. Maybe that's what I need. I need I'm actually, maybe if I transition my genders, then I will actually be happy. Right. You know? And so they're, they're being fed a lie, right? That, C.S. Lewis says, we have a God-sized hole in our soul that mm -hmm. nothing but God can fill. Right. So homosexual lust or love or relationships won't fill that hole. Mm -hmm. uh, children won't fill that hole. Changing your gender won't fill that hole. And so 
we've got to be, you know, good gospel neighbors and share the gospel with those people. But at the same time, we have to shepherd our children to see what's actually happening, that they are, they are unmoored from a foundation of truth. They're unmoored from Jesus Christ. And most of the time it's because that these kids haven't been taught how to read the Bible. They don't know what the Bible says about things. And so they've been around church long enough and they've heard enough sermons about compassion and the poor and, and, and missions trips and these things that they know compassion is a good thing and they want to be a compassionate person. And so they, they give themselves over to this untethered sympathy. So what is it? Uh, that was kind of, I guess you would say love from a stiff arm distance. Um, what is it? What does a love look like from a, a close up and a deeper relationship with someone that maybe I guess you would say struggling with, you know, changing their body and things like that from a, a Christian standpoint? Um, um, well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think I agree with you that it was that was love from a stiff arm distance because I said I'd invite them over for dinner. I'd listen to their story. I mean, what what are you thinking here? Because <clears throat> I mean, that's how I'm developing a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm listening to their story and I'm, I'm going to share the gospel with them, right? <clears throat> and I'm going to see what doors God's op- God opens because <clears throat> God can save them. First off, I'm going to be sharing the gospel because God can save them in spite of any gender confusion that they have. Yeah. Right? I guess, <clears throat> I guess you would say if they, if they bring the, those issues up and those struggles to you, I guess what would be some loving language or loving ways to be able to walk that out with them? I would talk to them about the nature of being a human being. Yeah. Mm. And all of us long for completion. All of us feel like we're lacking something. Mm-hmm. All of us. And that's because of our alienation from God. That's, that's because of our brokenness. Uh, when, sin was, when sin cursed mankind, it cursed our body. It cursed all of creation. And it cut off our relationship with God. And so one, we're going to feel alienated from God. And, 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 and if you're not a Christian and you're not a believer, you don't have language for that. Yeah. You don't know what that ache in your soul is. And so you're trying to fill it with anything you can. Mm. We're going to be alienated from our own bodies. And so a person m- might be born male and desire to have uh, sexual relations or relationships with males. Okay. You could be. Uh, and that's just sin, right? Yeah. Well, it's that's. So it's a consequence. It's not a consequence of their sin or anybody's sin, except for Adam and Eve's. It's, yeah. it, but it's, but to pursue that lifestyle, that would be a sin. And so we would tell that person to to find their identity in Christ, right. to pursue Jesus, and a be celibate, be a single person, and and just throw yourself into relationships, and and just you're not going to get married. Okay. Or secondly. The Lord, maybe the Lord asked the Lord and the Lord could give you desires for the opposite sex and then you could get married. And we have evidence of both of those things happening in the Christian church even right now and it happened for centuries. And that's not, that's not offering them a second-class life. It's offering them an, a life that honors the Lord and walks in holiness and righteousness. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, it only sounds um, bigoted or narrow-minded or 
um, less than to the person who thinks that their identity is wholly in their gender or sexuality. Like I can't have a full life unless I express my sexual preference. Well, that's just not true. Even for the heterosexual person, that's not true. The heterosexual person doesn't get to express his sexuality every time he wants mm. with yeah. everyone they want, yeah. right? You, I have to repress my sexuality in that sense as well, you know? And so, and it's not, and, and the other thing, like Jesus was a whole person and he was single, right? And so you don't have to be married or have a spouse or a significant other to be a f- full person. You don't have to have sex to be a whole person. You don't. So a lot of this was um, compassion directed towards those who are preyed upon. Um, but what about in like the situation with Robbie Zacharias? Like, is there compassion that you have, or that a Christian can have towards a brother who is preying on people? Like, like what? I don't know. What does the what does compassion towards the predator look like? It looks like justice, I think, for the for the oppressed and for the for those that have been hurt. I don't I don't think you have. Uh, compassion for um, the predator, at least while he's committing those acts until there's until quote unquote justice has been served. Right. So that guy, if he's alive, he needs to be locked up or something, right? Like he needs to be locked up behind, behind bars or or going through the court system and the, and the victims get their justice. And then, you know, and then we have compassion. Then we could possibly have compassion. Right. And, um, uh, the prison ministries and things like that, reaching out and, and seeing what what went wrong with this guy. Where where is he at? But compassion first starts with genuine victims. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. <clears throat> so, um, real quick, um, I know we have kind of three distinct lines of thought here, um, but I'm thinking the kids in our homes, the children we're raising are being um, almost catechized to the culture. So what are some just healthy rhythms as a family, like coming together, spending time together, structure we can put in to try and combat the fact that they're at school seven hours a day, five days a week, if they're in public school? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're going to have to have a lot of conversations. You're going to have to have a lot of conversations around the dinner table. You're going to have to have a lot of family walks. When you see this stuff in the culture, you can't just quip really quickly, you know, and make fun of a, of a mm-hmm. transgender person. Um, you're actually going to have to explain what's going on, and you're gonna and you're and you're gonna have to say, "Listen, we want to have compassion for people like that because, you know, Jesus would say they're a sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, they're a sheep without a shepherd, man, and they're wandering lost, and they don't even know what gender they are. That's how confused they are." Yeah. And we should feel compassion for them, but we should never let our compassion trump truth. Yeah. Yeah. Our compassion cannot overwhelm us so much that, to use the analogy we used last time, we jump in the quicksand with them. Yeah. This person's gender confused and doesn't know what they are, thinks they're 60% man and <coughs> 40% female. <coughs> and we jump in there with them yeah. and say, yeah, you just, you, just, you, you do you. Yeah. And I think the key thing you said there, too, is like... Uh, that you continue to say is, you know, being a learner. And then also, like, our culture just needs to slow down so we can be able to have these conversations yeah. with our kids mm-hmm. because we're running uh, 100 miles an hour all the time 
And a lot of times we don't even stop to break down and have these conversations. Yep. And we're wondering why our kids are having these thoughts because, for one, you didn't slow down for you to be a learner of the culture or the gospel, but then also be able to have the conversation um, with the kid or for the neighbor mm-hmm. that you're trying to love well yep. in the midst of this. Here's one other point <clears throat> on the, the transgender type stuff. A lot of this behavior, especially in the rapid onset uh, gender dysphoria is being fueled by social media, the glorification of changing genders, the glorification of being unique and different and special. If you look at like on the commercials for Instagram, Instagram puts the weirdest people on their their pictures. Everybody's got purple, blue, yellow hair. You can't tell if it's a boy or a girl. Rainbow everything. That's what our culture is pushing right now. Okay? Now, this is a sociological phenomenon that's being fueled by social media, and parents have to be very wary of letting their children have any any social media at all. I, I think, yeah. I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it this, I think it's parental neglect to let your children have any social media before they're 18, mm-hmm. or at least before they're out of the house. I think it's that that bad. So I guess you would say, like, how, how do you help love them well through that if they never have it? Like, so you just wait until they are 18 and then they have it or they hide it. So what does it even look like to be able to parent them through that and love them well? Because it's not like they get 18 and then it's like, ah, I know how to use social media all of a sudden. Well, but, but you're not like setting your kid up but an 18 to year old, love them. But an 18, well, th- that was just one example. So oh, okay. the 18-year-old's brain is more developed than a 15, 13, 12-year-old, right? And and my desire, one, my kids go to Christian classical education and we and and, and they're going to be hopefully fully formed or not fully formed by 18 but but they're going to have an, have enough wisdom and they've been through logic to realize that some of the stuff is illogical also we have all these conversations around our table we talk about these people there's all these youtubers yeah. that are out there and we're having these conversations and we're breaking it down and showing why this isn't work now here's what's interesting sociologi- sociologists are are saying this transgender phenomenon is tracking in the same pattern as the um, eating disorders of the 90s mm-hmm. and the cutting phenomenon of the 2000s. Yeah. Okay, so here's what happened. The eating disorders of the of the 90s. You guys remember when like, you know, super... Uh, maybe you guys don't know this, but in the 90s... Break it down, old school. <laughs> Break it down. In the 90s, you know... Uh, <laughs> are you I'm still saying, laughing? Saying, You're trying to think about how old you no, are right I'm now. I'm going to think like this because Cosmo says you're fat, but I ain't down with that. Okay. Remember that? Remember yeah, that? Yeah. So Cosmo says you're fat, right? So in the 90s, skinny models were the thing, right? And the skinny models were the thing. And so all the most of the girls wanted to be super skinny. And so they would usually say something like this, I feel like I'm fat or I feel like I'm overweight, okay? Any normal, now most of them, if they were skinny already, most normal people would look at them and go, what, you're, you're skinny, you're not fat at all. But what would typically happen is there would, they would say something like that. If they say it to an adult, an adult would look at them and go, you're not fat. Well, when I look in the mirror, all I see is fat. Okay, well then there's something wrong with what you're seeing. Hmm. You are not fat we would tell them to resist that desire to see themselves as fat, yeah. right? 
But what, what then they would do is they would go to their best friend or some person on a chat room and they would say, I feel like I'm fat. And their friend would say, so do I. Let's not eat for the rest of the day. Okay, let's do this. Only eat one slice of an apple for every hour for the next you know, five hours and you're going to feel full. And so what they would do is they would go to a peer who would reinforce their belief about themselves and then they would become a little community of anorexics, right? And so it was like 75% of anorexics were, had other friends who, who struggled with anorexia and that's because it was a social phenomenon, okay? Now listen, here's what's so interesting. That was... That's the same. That's the same way the gender stuff is working today, except now, when a person says I feel, if it's a biological male, and they say I feel like I'm a female, now you have the adults saying, "Okay, well, whatever you feel like," mm-hmm. even though if an anorexic comes up and says I feel fat, well, you're not fat. Your feelings are all wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, hold on. How can I trust my feelings when it comes to my gender, but I can't trust my feelings when it comes to my fat percentage? Mm-hmm. It doesn't even work, okay? Now, the same thing happened in the 2000s. With the rise of technology and the rise of cell phone, more and more kids are not having face-to-face encounters, not having face-to-face communication. They're text messaging everything. And they're processing their feelings through, you know, videos and all kind of weird stuff. Snapchat. and, and, And all these different things. And listen, here's the deal. So one of the things, one of the phenomenons that started happening was they started cutting themselves mm. to feel something, mm-hmm. just to feel something. Yeah. And these cutters, where did that come from? They get an idea from the internet. They get an idea from a chat room. They get an idea from a YouTube video. They get an idea from somebody in their friend. And over like 75, 80% of people who cut have a friend that also cuts, oh, yeah. that also do these, they also sell phones. Yeah. It's a sociological phenomenon. Right. It's not biological. It's not even just a mental health disorder. It's they have relationships and friends and they feel sorry for that person. And then they end up doing that thing most of the time. Okay, so it was anorexia in the 90s. It was like cutting in the 2000s. And here we are. And now it's and now it's gender. Yeah. Right. And it's untethered compassion. So when you say tethered, what do you mean by that? We said that a lot, just for the listener that maybe not know. So think of a boat that is tethered to an anchor. Mm-hmm. Okay, a tether is some is a is a is something that ties you to something solid. Mm. That's what it means to be tethered. Yeah. It's a it's the string on a kite, right? The kite, the string on the kite te- tethers the kite to the person on the ground. Mm-hmm. If that kite is untethered, it crashes and burns and and flies away. So, so that's that's what a tether. So we have to have compassion that is tethered to the gospel, compassion that is tethered to scripture, compassion that is tethered to truth, to reality, to the way God made the world. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Any other questions? Any other thoughts? I'm just thinking. Um, you guys, uh, Tate and Justin, you made a couple comments about being around the dinner table, and so I'm thinking and um, going on family walks. And kind of, um, I, I just want to press the importance of eating together, sharing meals as a family, yeah. having those conversations, spending time together. 
because, I mean, if you're if you're going to school, if you're learning these things, and then you're coming home and you're not spending time together, and being discipled by your parents, then of course you're going to be catechized to the world. Right? Yes. Yeah. So Sherry Turkle, Harvard psychologist and sociologist, says, out of all the markers of children, the number one marker of success in a child is the amount of dinners they eat yeah. together as a family. Mm-hmm. The number one thing. You think you can break down a little bit of what your dinner table looks like? Just so maybe people that don't know, you know what that looks like because maybe they didn't grow up in a family that has okay. had break bread together. Maybe they eat rooms, uh, eat in separate rooms. Sure. Um, I'll just kind of let the cat out of the bag here. <clears throat> I've been uh, working on a, a short little ebook for dads Uh-oh. and I'm, it's called uh <laughs> gospel yeah it's called <laughs> the release is here it's called it's called gospel dad and i just go through what little i know about being a dad and a gospel dad i've broken it down in about 30 or so pages i think of a little ebook and i go through my dinner time routine there and in that and so that we're going to give that away um i'm pretty sure we're giving that away to dads on father's day this year so that's that's coming down the pipe but before i get into that i also want to say that this modern idea of the kids get home from school and parents get home from work and they're, everybody's exhausted and the kids go to their room and watch TV or the kids go to their room and get on their phone or the kids go to the room and get on their iPad, th- that they're going and they're being discipled. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. what they're doing. They're being discipled. Many of our kids are being discipled right now by YouTubers. Yeah. They, a YouTuber puts out a video every single day, and our, our kids are watching those videos every single day. And they're catechizing these children into avant-garde, demonic ideas of sexuality and gender. Yeah. And, all, and not just that, all kinds of different things. Whether it's race, whether, whether it's religion. Money. Money, all of these yeah. things. They're being catechized to worship false gods and parents be, you know, they're just handing their kids these devices and they don't realize what they're doing. Yeah. So I think we have to have limits on technology and major limits on technology. <clears throat> and, um, anyway, so my man, my dinner table, my dinner table is not, is not, not nothing impressive, you know, it ain't perfect. <laughs> if there is such a thing, <laughs> it's not my dinner table. And, um, and so I don't think it would even be helpful right now to go into details mm. about that. I think you, cause it's not, it's not the dinner table. It's, it's parents have to be educated on these issues. They've got to be tethered to scripture themselves. They've got to be a God centered scripture oriented person that can answer these questions. And if they can't answer these questions, then they have to call a pastor and get advice. Yeah. You know, or do the research online now because because dinner time discussions rarely go the way I want them to. And it's usually I, at dinner time I'm wanting my kids to talk and my kids are not wanting to talk what I want them to talk about. Mm-hmm. And my kids bring me those difficult questions on the way to school. Yeah. My kids bring me those difficult questions when we're on a walk, mm-hmm. when they see some person that they can't tell if it's a boy or a girl because of the way they're dressed and the way that they look then they want to come talk to me about it. So it's like life on life discipleship. It's like, I have to be ready whenever they're ready to talk about it because if I'm ready and they're not, they ain't listening. 
And I think, too, just like a good way to kind of start some of those conversations are just asking good questions, right? Even as here at Sacred City, we uh, have missional communities where um, I guess we would say gospeling someone, you know, and we're kind of walking out some of their, you know, life um, scenarios and things like that. But we're asking good questions to kind of get to the root of what's going on and how they're feeling and, you know, what have what, what actually went wrong. So I think asking good questions is a, a good key piece of that, too. Yeah. Asking good questions. But when you're talking to teenagers, you can ask a great question. And they're like, fine. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay. But when they're ready to talk, they might be ready to talk at 11 o'clock at night. Something happened at school. They've been hiding it, didn't want to talk about it. And then you could, and then they come out of the room, Mom, I need to talk, Dad, I need to talk. And you've got to be ready. you got to be like the preacher, instant in season and out of season. you got to be ready whenever uh, to answer the questions they, they've got. That's and true. that's one of the key pieces of being an apologist of the gospel. It says we must be ready to give an answer, right, to the hope that we have in Christ. And so when, the, when our kids are in our home and they're like, Dad, why is it wrong to be a different gender? Why is that wrong? You know, we've we got to have a, a, a nuanced answer to that question. I mean, it can be, you could make it really simple sometimes because God made us man and female. Yeah. But it's not that simple, Dad. Walk it out. <laughs> Let's it's, talk through this it. This is why it's not that simple because biologically there are humans that are born with both both you know sexual apparatuses yeah. <laughs> both both forms of genitalia and so what what is that dad what what is that right and so we would say that's a result of the fall right and so there there are but that's a very small that's a very minuscule amount of people and we do need to be compassionate towards those um but right now we're dealing with something else we're dealing with a, a sociological phenomenon that is um, being driven by social media and and kind of you actually can get more clicks from changing your gender. Mm, yep. If you're like wanting to build a YouTube channel, you can actually do that by being transgender. Mm -hmm. It's bizarre, but you can. And you can be do that by labeling yourself as the victim and the only way out of it is through whatever it is, through through surgery or through taking hormones or whatever whatever it is. So, again, there, there's other ways to see this. I want us to just keep, um, I want to keep, I want us to keep this concept in our minds. Um, I've kind of got three terms for it now. I've got the sin of empathy. I've got untethered sympathy, and I've got um, weaponized compassion. So the first one was Joe Rigney's term. The second one is John Piper's term. The third one is my term. Uh, weaponized compassion, how the culture is weaponizing our own compassion against us and stealing the hearts of our children right out of our home. And so parents, we got to be aware of it. Any other thoughts or questions before we close this one out? I, I think just um, real quick, sorry, parents being ready and willing to have those conversations. It can be easy to be inconvenienced or like, oh no, that's stupid. But like, whether you say, yeah, let's talk about this, or whether you say, that's a stupid question, go away, you're discipling your child yeah. to something. Yeah, and if you won't answer that question, they'll go to YouTube and find find the answer Someone to that question. Will. I mean, we can't be like, you know, certain people that, you know, don't ask for directions, right? And I think, like, as, as a, a people, as a community that God has blessed us with, 
um, that we, we have to be open and honest and say, I don't know. Like, pastor, can you help me out? Missional community, can you help me out? So we can be able to love on your children and be able to love on your soul as well so that you can be developed and be able to answer some of those uh, yeah. questions biblically. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Anything else? Okay. All right, guys, you got any questions? Email me, justindean at sacredcitychurch.com. We'd love to address it here on the podcast. We love you. God bless you.